You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Let's pray. God of grace, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you are with us in the midst of us. We ask that your spirit might guide the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart that they would not only be acceptable and pleasing before you, but they would be um, empowering to your people, that we might do your work in grace and love. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Christ Jesus. Amen. I think this is funny, so I'm going to show it to you, that this morning when I preached the 8.30 service, there's a little post-it note with tape to make sure that it stayed. It says, Jason, preach, pray, sit down. I'm going to do that in that order. This morning's text, Luke 9, 10 through 17, can be found in your Bible on page 842. I'm actually not going to read it now. I'm actually going to read it at the conclusion of the sermon in hopes that as we look at this passage and as we uh, explore what God might want to teach us through this, that as we read it at the end, that it would make a claim upon our life. As someone who works with with young people, I try to stay on top of what the, the new viral videos are. You know, the double rainbow videos or, you know, dogs doing tricks or funny bunny rabbits or whatever they might be. I try to, you know, stay on top of those things. I feel like it's a responsibility I have. And sometimes as I'm looking at you, you know, YouTube is a popular site. I'm not looking at YouTube. You know, I'm surfing for videos that, that are, are viral. And and they're they're amazing. You see amazing feats. And this week, a few days ago, my, my wife Shannon said to me, look at this video of this this five-year-old playing the drums. And it was phenomenal. Five-year-old just pounding out beats that I have no ability to, to, to hammer out. And, and I remember looking at it and thinking, well, that's great. I've seen, I've seen a video of drum before. It was, it was impressive. But it just didn't really take a, make a claim on me. It didn't grasp, grasp me. It didn't challenge me to say, wow, this is amazing. Because we see so many things that are amazing sometimes and, we, and we, we're just desensitized to them. We're bored with them. We gloss over them. And as I sat down with this text, the feeding of the 5,000, a text that finds its way into every single gospel, into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's one of the few narratives that actually we find in each of the gospels. I found myself making a quick glance as I sat down with the text a few weeks ago to look at it and say, oh, it's the feeding of the 5,000. We all know what happens. There's a big crowd. Jesus takes some fish and some loaves and multiplies them. And then we move on to the next passage. And I think the challenge that we face in this passage as a community of faith is not to gloss over. Is not to let our eyes pass over like we do when we're reading the Leviticus text where we've moved eight pages past and we're like, I don't remember a thing that I just read. And I'm not going back. 
But there's this sense that we can just read over the, the feeding of the 5,000. Because we know what happens. The problem we face is that when we gloss over, when we take for granted, when we've become desensitized to the miracles and the details of this narrative, we miss something. And I believe this passage wants to make a claim on us. So by way of exploring it, I would like to do several things this morning. One, I would like to walk through the narrative. Verse by verse, let's just look at what's going on. Let's try to embody in our own lives what it would be like to be one of the crowd that day or one of the disciples. And let's just take a look. Two, I'd like to ask what sort of claims this makes in three areas. One, on the original participants, those who were in the crowd, the disciples. Two, the early hearers of this text who received Luke's gospel. And three, the claim that it makes on us. And then I'd like to close by saying, what difference does this make in our lives today? How does it challenge us? How does it motivate us? How does it transform us? There are some textual considerations for this that we must take a look at. And we must look to the first, ver- the first few verses that come before this. And what we need to realize, and if you're following along in your text, you can kind of glance up and see that the disciples were just sent out. They had been through the sort of preparation period. And Jesus said, you're ready. We're going to send you out. And they were out rebuking and healing and casting out demons and proclaiming the gospel. So we have this image of their coming back. They've just experienced firsthand the power of Christ in their own hands. And they've come back to Christ. And this is where the story picks up. And it says in verse 10, On their return, the apostles told Jesus all they had done. And so there's excitement there. Just as when we go off to missions trips, or to do work in the city, and we come back and we want to share what happened, and the way God has used us, the things we saw how we were changed and transformed. In verse 10, it said, He took them with Him and withdrew privately to a city called Bethsaida. And you can get this picture, this image of Jesus saying, okay, I've been teaching these crowds and my disciples and my apostles are back, so let's come and let's get in. And Matthew says they got in a boat and they headed across the Sea of Galilee towards a town called Bethsaida, which is in the northeast corridor of uh, of the Sea of Galilee. So they were heading across the sea and you could see them you know, saying goodbye to the people on the coastline and, and headed out towards Bethsaida on the other side. And the crowds are saying, where are they going? We have to follow them. Sea of Galilee isn't huge. We'll walk around. And you can sort of see the crowd making its way around the coast. Jesus and his disciples catching up. Talking, sharing. Well, eventually they make their way to Bethsaida. And sure enough, the relentless nature of those, of the crowd and of those people who were seeking after Christ found their way there. And you can almost feel, and the text doesn't tell us this, but you can almost feel the disciples maybe feeling even a sense of loss of, oh, we just wanted to be with Christ, but the crowd is here. But Jesus, and the verse tells us in verse 11, it says that Jesus welcomed them. When the crowds found out about it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed to be cured. 
Just like when Jesus said, let the little children come unto me. He said, come. He walked all the way around. Come. Let me talk to you about the kingdom. Let me teach you. Let me share with you. Let me heal you. Let me impart to you who I am. And then we move on in verse 12. As the day went on and healings went on and teaching went on, it says the day was drawing to a close. You can imagine the sun starting to set as dusk was upon them. And the twelve in a cohort came to Jesus saying, Send the crowd away so that they might go into the surrounding villages and countrysides to lodge and get provisions, for we're here in a deserted place. And you wonder, were the disciples trying to protect their time with Jesus? Were they really concerned about the crowd that was around them? Nonetheless, they're saying, Jesus, it's getting kind of dark. And we need to get these people moving so they can find a place to lay their heads and they can find a meal to eat. Almost as if to say, it's not our job, let's just let them go. You've healed, you've taught, you've been with them. Now let's move them on. And I love Jesus' response. And I can just imagine in his big gruff beard, you know, as they didn't have razors and trimmers back then. He didn't have a nicely shaped, you know, soul patch like I do. <laughs> he had a little smirk on his face, probably because he knew he was saying it facetiously to try to prod them a little. He says, you give them something to eat. Knowing very well that they did not have the resources, nor the bread or fish or whatever else they were eating, the dates, to be able to say, here, let's feed 5,000 people. Jesus knew they couldn't do this. But he said, you feed them. And you could see, you probably see the disciples thinking to themselves, is he kidding? I could hear one of you know, Peter saying, are you serious, Jesus? Are you putting me on? And Jesus says, no, you feed them. The disciples' response, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. And, and even that, the disciples are sort of maybe even playfully engaging and realizing, wondering, maybe he's just kidding. Because the disciples would not have carried enough cash to be able to feed 5,000 men and the women and children that were in the crowd that day. So you see this exchange between Jesus and His disciple. There's a problem that needs to be solved. We need to provide for these people. Do we send them off or do we feed them? And Jesus is saying, we can feed them. You've just healed in the name of the living God. Surely we can feed them. It says, for there were 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, this is verse 14, make them sit down in groups of about 50 each. They did so and made them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And even as I read this, I think there's a miracle that just occurred But unless we stop and really think about the miracle and what lies behind that miracle, we almost could gloss over it even in the preaching of the message. He multiplied the bread and the fish 
And scholars think that there were these fishing baskets that they stuck the fish and the bread in and the disciples hauled them all around and were carrying them to and fro. And there were probably about a hundred groups of 50 plus the women and children and they're distributing the bread so much so that there was extra left over. And people were eating. And in verse 17 it says, And all ate and were filled. What was left over was gathered up, twelve baskets of broken pieces. And here's the one word that I would like to actually change. If you look at the original language, there's room that have this word, and they were filled, be, and they were satisfied. And some of other, the other translations that we use speak to that sense of satisfaction. Those in the crowd that, that day ate and were satisfied. And I think that translation actually lends itself to a theological claim that takes a hold of who we are as a community of faith. But before we get there, let's think about what it actually meant to the people hearing, to the people there, to the participants. Because you see, this is kind of a unique situation. And I'm sure if you read through it and you thought about it, would you think, you know what, Did did the crowd even know that there was a miracle going on? Some of those close to Jesus might have presumed, I didn't see this amount of food. I didn't see a catering truck pull up. But all of a sudden, there's all this food. But with a hundred groups of 50 people plus each, did they really get that a miracle had just occurred that was providing for their sustenance? That was meeting a physical daily need that they had. The disciples surely realized that there was a miracle occurring. And not that the disciples were not amazed by this, but they had just went around healing people, touching people, seeing lame people walk, blind see. They just experienced the power of the Holy Spirit move through them. So it was probably no shock to them that Jesus could actually multiply bread and loaves or uh, loaves and fishes. This was no surprise. Not that they weren't amazed, but the question is, from the people there, there was a sense of, our teacher is compassionate. Our teacher is feeding us. Our needs are being met. And so as we think about this text, we can choose to look through the eyes of those who participated and said their needs were being met. But I think there's more to it than that. And I think that that as we think about how the early church and some of those who followed in years after Luke had written the gospel, what it meant for them to hear. And as they get the picture, and as they read the whole book, and as they get all the different miracles, there was this claim that Jesus not only was the Son of God, but that Jesus had a command and a power over the very material creation of this world. Enough that He could take five loaves and two fish and somehow turn it into enough to feed 5,000 plus and have some left over. Jesus Christ truly is Lord. It makes a claim on the early hearers that in a way it doesn't for us. Or at least it didn't as I read through it the first time 
a few weeks ago in preparation for this message? Does it speak to Christ's Lordship? Yes, it does. And it does speak to Christ's compassion. And it does speak to God's sovereign nature and His concern for us as human beings, as His children, to feed and care and nurture us. But I believe as modern day hearers that there actually is a greater claim that it makes on us. And I believe that it is found in verse 17. In all ate and were satisfied. We know there was a miracle in a way that the first participants did not. We know that Christ is Lord. For it's the very reason that we gather here. But the question I want to ask today is, are we satisfied? In the same way that those first participants, those first hearers of the word were satisfied. It was a simple offering. Bread and fish. For the Larson meal, Kate brought out some bread and some fish, would we feel satisfied? Depends how the fish was prepared, probably. But what does it mean to be satisfied? What claim does that make on our lives to think that there are daily miracles that go on beyond our vision, beyond our sight, that provide for us? Yes, we are talented people who are apt at so many things. And we work hard. Protestant work ethic. We have earned what we get. But at the same time, we can't deny the fact that we serve a providential God, a sovereign God, who is orchestrating miracles in the background. And they may not seem as phenomenal as multiplying loaves and fishes, but there are miracles that are happening around us at this moment that provide for our very sustenance, that provide for our well-being. And what does it mean for us as modern day hearers who have a text like this, not to say, hey, what is God doing behind the curtain that puts food on my table and clothing on my back and a roof over my head that fills me with His Spirit? And when we metaphorically eat of the blessings that God gives us, are we satisfied? Or do we constantly long for more? What else is there? What more can I have? Those early hearers sat with a certain contentment. Unbeknownst to them that one of the greatest miracles had just occurred. One that will be talked about for century. Century after century to come. Today we're about to take the Lord's Supper. And it begs, it it forces us to ask the question, are we satisfied?
as we hold the wine and as we hold the bread or the cracker, and as we partake of those elements, I want to challenge you today to take a moment with those in your hand and as you taste that bread on your lips and on your tongue and as you swallow it, and as you taste the sweetness of that cup, to sit for a moment and ask yourselves today, am I satisfied? Because perhaps what we need reminding the most and what I need reminding the most is in my satisfaction with God's provision, I acknowledge His compassion. I recognize His providence and His sovereignty over me. And I proclaim His Lordship over my life, over my family, and over us as a community of faith. Pastor and theologian John Piper, out of Bethlehem Baptist in Minneapolis, Minnesota, has a phrase that he likes to use when he talks about Christian hedonism. He says, we, when we are satisfied, God is most satisfied in us and glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. As you take of the Lord's Supper today, Ask yourself that question. Am I satisfied? And now, let us read the Word of God found in the Gospel of Luke. As you hear the words, consider the claim that it makes upon your life. On their return, the the apostles told Jesus all they had done. He took them with them and withdrew privately to a city called Bethsaida. When the crowds found out about it, they followed him and he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed to be cured. The day was drawing to a close and the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they might go into the surrounding villages and countryside to lodge and get provisions, for we are here in a deserted place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, but we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of about 50 each. They did so and made them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to the heaven blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And all ate and were satisfied. What was left over was gathered up, twelve baskets of broken pieces. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. God of provision and compassion, Lord of all creation. Help us to be satisfied in you. That we might glorify you.
the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. For more UPC audio, or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.